0: Amen. Amen. So I think if you were to talk to many Christians today, they would say that evangelism is harder today than it was, say, 30, 40 years ago. Our culture, whether you've realized it or not, even in the past 10 to 15 years has drastically changed Uh, the the landscape of what we're doing as Christians and what we need to do. The landscape is completely different. Uh, The people that we interact with are completely different by and large than what they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And you say you weren't even alive back then. I say, that's right. Uh, But I can study and I can read. Right. This is what I think the landscape of our culture looks like today. And this is kind of the the hardships that we bear as Christians when it comes to sharing the gospel. Uh, One, truth is relative to our culture. You can interact with someone and they can say, hey, that's great that that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Uh, Truth is left up to individuals to uh, determine and figure out and decide on what they believe is right and what they believe is wrong. We see that people are hypersensitive and easily offended and sometimes are message as Christians is offensive so we can be worried that we might uh, be a victim of Cancel culture in the workplace or that our our friends on campus or in the classroom will look at us differently because of the message That we share Uh, we see that false information is everywhere I remember as a student at Wake Tech uh, I was trying to share the gospel I was 18 19 with one of my classmates in my English class and as we're talking he goes he says this and I said, I was so shocked in the moment. He was like, I can't believe Christianity because I believe the Bible was written by a bunch of white guys who got in a room together. And I remember being like, that could not be farther from like the historical biblical truth, but that is the world that we live in. People having these, uh, these ideas that are not true, but the information is out there. It makes it difficult. And we even see that there is a all time high of doubt towards religion and religious institutions in our day. So that is the world that we share the gospel in. So maybe you've been here the past couple of weeks and you're like, Pastor David, sermon's been great. Sermon's been awesome. But how do I do that in this world that seems hostile towards my Christian faith? How do I share the gospel in a classroom on campus where nobody, not even my professor, would say that they're a Christian? How do I share the gospel in my workplace when not one person goes to church, not one person reads their Bible? How do I do that in today's world. And so what I want to share with you today is an approach that can help you build bridges to gospel conversations. Uh, Because I think today, the hard thing is, uh, you can go up to a lot of people, Bible in hand, armed with a, a, a good Romans road or something like that, and say, hey, can I share Jesus with you? And today, I think people are more likely than ever to say, no. I don't wanna hear about Jesus, I don't care about Jesus. Why would I wanna sit here and listen to you talk from God's word? That's the hardship of our culture. So I think there's a little bit of extra work that we have to do as Christians. A little bit of work we have to do to get people to see why they should wanna hear the gospel. So that's what I wanna to do today. It's something, it's a mouthful, but it's called gospel cultural hermeneutics. But don't get caught up on that, I wanna give you a definition. Uh, it comes from a man named Sam Chan. Uh, he wrote the book uh, Gospel in a, or Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And I was taught on this uh, in school, and I think it's very helpful, and I use it often with teenagers, but he defines it like this, or he just explains it like this. He says, we find a cultural text, and we interpret it with the lens of the gospel. Then we speak to the audience in their culture using their language. Then we show them how Jesus fulfills their cultural storyline. So what I want to do this morning, super practical, different than what I normally do, but I want to walk you through this step-by-step, show you a biblical example, and then just encourage encourage you and hopefully send you out to do this, okay? Let's pray one more time and then, uh, and then jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Would you help us all to focus, to listen, to hear from you, and to be empowered to spread the good news of the gospel. We pray all of this in your name amen. So the first step, there's three steps with a couple subpoints, but the first one, and if you take notes, it might help you follow along and, and, and not get lost. But the first is you just want to enter the storyline. You just want to enter the storyline and understand it. Uh, so that's the first step. When I say a cultural text, you might be, Like, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, a cultural text could be anything. It could be a a hot topic in our society. It could be a a situation that the person you're talking to has been walking through. It could be something from pop culture, like a song or a movie or a new uh, reality TV show, or it could be a belief that that person holds. So when you're picking a cultural text, you're picking something that is relevant to the person that you're talking to, and you're gonna to try to use that thing to bridge the conversation into a gospel conversation. So hopefully that makes sense. I know it's a lot of words, but you're just picking something that's relevant to them and you're gonna use that to head into the gospel and share the gospel with them. And so you first wanna understand the storyline or the belief or the text that you're gonna be talking about because the worst thing you wanna do is misrepresent what they believe, what they feel, or what the text is saying. So for example, uh, if I was, does everyone know what a a Swifty is? any anyone any okay no not all of you so a swifty is like a major taylor swift fan so say i'm in a conversation with a swifty okay and i'm going to use some taylor swift lyric to try to lead into the gospel. Well, if I misrepresent what Taylor Swift was writing about or singing about, I'm going to lose my credibility in that conversation. I'm going to lose the opportunity to share the gospel because the Swifties are going to be like, that's not what Taylor Swift meant and just shut the door on you, right? And so we want to make sure that we understand what they actually believe. We want to understand what they're actually saying so we don't misrepresent them. That happens all the time in today's media, but we shouldn't do that as Christians. So, we understand, but then we want to understand the deeper meaning behind what they believe. We want to ask questions like, what is the worldview behind this belief, or behind this piece of pop culture, or this message that this person, person is sharing? Is there a, a dominant message or an existential cry for God? What's the heart behind what they were saying? So we understand what they're saying, and then we want to dig deeper and understand what they truly mean, what they truly feel, but then... We want to empathize with it. If we're not careful, we can just try to jump right into just shredding what they believe or shredding their argument and like, well, this is why it's wrong and this is why. But we first want to empathize with them. We want to understand why they believe what they believe. We want to understand why they're so attracted to that song, to that text, to that worldview, to that belief. We want to understand what it is they believe and why they believe it, because it will allow us to share the gospel better with them. Sam Chan would say, we ask the question, why would somebody want this message to be true or real? This is hard for us sometimes as Christians as we see the things in our culture and we're like, I can't even begin to believe or understand why people would do that or believe this. But it will allow you to share the gospel better if you can empathize and try to put yourself in their shoes, get in their mind and see why they believe what they believe. Then we challenge the storyline, number two. We challenge the storyline. So after we've understood what they're saying, we've empathized with them, then in the conversation we earn the right to challenge their belief, okay? When you show them that you've respected them enough to understand and listen and empathize, now you get the opportunity to challenge and push back on the truth claims that they believe. You're wanting to show the person the shortcomings of what they believe. You're wanting to to push back and, and get inside their mind and show them that what they believe is not all it's cracked up to be for example uh, say you're working in the workplace you're in the college classroom you're talking to someone and it's a single guy and you hear him mentioning all the time man when I get married it's gonna it's gonna solve all my issues it's gonna fulfill me life like when I find my second half like I'm gonna be good life is gonna be easy after that and you hear that that's a worldview claim that's a truth that he's believing and that he's putting weight in and you can leverage that for the gospel so as you understand and you empathize with him, yeah, I, I completely understand why you want a relationship. We all desire that. But then you begin to push back on that. You say, well, do you, do you think a person, another person's gonna completely satisfy you? You might start talking about how, you know, marriage brings difficulties and sometimes life gets harder when you get married and marriage is, is difficult and you get married with a person and they've got baggage and, and hurt and all these different things and it makes life Harder. So you begin to kind of push back on their truth claim and you say, well, maybe I could show you about the one who could satisfy you. You try to challenge their worldview. You do that with anything. You do it respectfully, but you're pointing out the flaws. And what they believe in. Then third, you fulfill the storyline. So after you've challenged their truth, hopefully they're open to the gospel. They're open to what you have to say and that's when you enter in with Jesus and you share the gospel to them. So the first question we have to ask uh, just to ourselves is how does the gospel answer the cry of their heart? You have to identify what it is that this person believes and how the gospel is ultimately what their heart desires. How the gospel is ultimately what they need to be satisfied through what jesus has done and through what the gospel has accomplished and then b i think on the screen you speak the gospel, you actually share the gospel. And when we do this, it's important that we share the gospel in a way that they understand with language that is familiar to them. Uh, Any of you familiar with like Christianese? It's like Christian church language that you only use in church and nobody outside of church has any clue what you're talking about. And as you're like, oh, you just gotta go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. And you talk about all these theological terms and to a lost person who's never been to church or who hasn't read their Bible in years, they have no clue what any of that means. And so we wanna make sure we use words and language that is familiar to them To them, so we don't lose them. And in this moment, you can try to connect to different cultural texts to point them to the gospel. Right, if you're talking to like a, a, a Star Wars nerd, you can try to connect your gospel presentation to something revolving Star Wars to bring them in, to not push them away, but to bring them in as you share the gospel. And so that's the, that's the method in short. Now if you're, your head's spinning or if I lost you five minutes ago, that is okay because I want to show you a biblical example of this. I want to show you from Acts 17 how the Apostle Paul uses a similar technique with a secular culture uh, and how he bridges his conversation into sharing the gospel because if some of you are a little maybe uncomfortable and like, I don't know if I'm, I'm vibing with this right now, I want to show you a biblical example because I think this is, this is biblical and this This is something that you and i should use but it's important that what we do be biblical and faithful so i want to show you that from acts 17. so i'm just going to kind of walk you through what we just walked through using paul as an example so we see first paul enters the storyline and understands it so paul if you know anything about him he's a former jew a, a devout jew who's turned christian and so in Acts 17 he finds himself in the city of athens Athens was the center of philosophy, the center of intellectual thought and ideas at the time. So it's the, it's the center of all thought in the world at the time, but it's also this culture that is full of so many different gods. They worship thousands and thousands of different gods. If you were to go in the city of Athens at that point of time, you would have seen shrines and temples and statues for all these different gods. One writer, he wasn't a Christian writer at the time, but he wrote and said, you could find more gods in the city of Athens than people. So that's the culture that Paul's seeing. And it says in verse 16 in Acts 17, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So you can imagine Paul's walking around the city, observing the people, looking at the culture, and his heart becomes troubled because he sees all these false gods that they worship. And we see that Paul is entering into the culture and he's understanding the culture around them, how it is. He sees they're polytheistic, they're idolatrous worshippers, they're religious but misguided. Okay, they're religious but misguided. So he says in verse 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Paul understands that these people he's talking to, they have thousands of gods. So instead of just stepping right on their toes and offending them, he's showing them that he understands, although they're wrong and misguided, he understands their religious pursuits. He understands that they're trying to find the divine. He's showing them that he understands and empathizes with their culture. He shows them that their desire is to know divine so he doesn't start out by saying people of Athens you're wicked evil sinners repent for the the kingdom of God is at hand because likely they would have immediately just left him on read and and walked away right so he starts by establishing common ground acknowledging their religious pursuits although that they are wrong saying that they're religious in all these different ways and he says in verse 23 continuing to acknowledge this He says for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God one writer says that this is Paul's launching pad he is picking out this altar to the unknown God as his launching pad into the gospel like you and I we see a text we see a belief and we're like okay That's what I'm going to use. This is what Paul's doing here. He's going to use this altar. They were so religious in this culture that they built an altar for a God that they didn't know because they were afraid they might leave out a God and not worship him. Or maybe there was a God they didn't know and they would offend that God. So they have this altar to the unknown God just to protect themselves in case there's one that they forgot out of the thousands. And so Paul's going to look at that and he's going to say, Okay, I see they're religious. I see they're trying to pursue gods. And I'm going to show them who the real God is. So he steps in and challenges their storyline in verse 23 at the end of it. Uh, He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He points out that although Athens has all this knowledge, all this philosophy, they're worshiping a God they don't know. How do you worship something that you don't know? How do you worship a God that you've never met, never talked to, and know nothing about? So he's challenging their way of thinking. How are you worshiping an unknown God? And so then he's going to tell them. He says, I proclaim to you this unknown God. So hopefully at this point, his audience is open to the idea of hearing from the Apostle Paul. And then we see how he fulfills the storyline. The existential cry of this people group, of the, the people in Athens was, like I've said, to know the divine, to worship gods, to, to to worship all that is spiritual. So Paul is going to show them the gospel, and he's going to show them how it is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that you can truly worship that which is divine. There's only one way to worship God, and that's through Jesus. And so that's how Paul sees that the gospel fulfills their needs, their desires. And so then He speaks the gospel. And I'll try to briefly unpack this for the sake of time because all of us are coming back to the worship night tonight, right? Uh, So I'm gonna be brief, but I wanna point out a a couple helpful things that Paul shares the gospel in a faithful and relevant way to his culture. In verse 24, he calls God the one who made the world and everything in it. For the word world he uses the the familiar greek term komos Uh, so his audience would have been familiar with that and would have understood that and then he goes on to say he is the lord of heaven and earth he does not live in temples made by man he's telling him he's not here he's not in your temple he's not in your shrines even though there's thousands of them he's not in the unknown god's altar he says, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I was reading about this, and in Greek philosophy would have believed that anything that was divine did not need anything, that if gods were self-sufficient, so. Paul is teaching them a biblical truth, but in a way that they would understand it. He's saying, this God that you need to worship does not need you to build him anything. He doesn't need an altar. He doesn't need a temple. You can't do anything for him. In fact, he's made everything. So he's sharing the gospel in a way that connects with them, but that does not falter on the biblical truth, that there is one God. And in verse 26, it should be on the screen, Paul declares that God made everyone and designed everyone for him. He's taking his audience back to Genesis 1 and teaching them a biblical worldview, that they were made by God, made for him, and at the end of verse 27, he tells them that they should seek God, that they should pursue God, that they should follow God. And so in verse 28, Paul does something really, really cool that is like a nerd when it comes to the Bible. I really enjoy it. It's really cool. He shares the gospel using lines from Greek poets. You see in that first line, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. He's saying that life True life, real life, if you really want to live, comes through Jesus. It is only through Jesus where you find out who you really are and how you can really live. And then he says, as some of your, uh, your own poets have said, that we are also his offspring. So as he's sharing the gospel, he cites two Greek poets to this Greek audience, all for the purpose of sharing the gospel, all for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus. So some of you, when I was talking about like using Taylor Swift or referencing Star Wars, you were like, that sounds stupid. But when we're talking to a culture that does not know our faith, if we can reference things that are familiar to them, we can point them to Jesus using those things. We can point them to the biblical truth that it is only Jesus that saves. It is only through his death and resurrection that we can be forgiven. And that's what Paul's going to go on to do. He says in verse 29 that being then god's offspring we not ought to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by art or imagination he's kind of calling them out it's like god's not all these idols you guys have made he's not all these altars that you have built and in verses 30 and 31 he says the times of ignorance god overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that being Jesus. And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul continues with the gospel, calling his audience to repentance, saying that one day God's going to judge in justice and righteousness. And he tells them about Jesus who has resurrected from the dead and that they should repent of their sins. You can see how this method that we've talked about, there's parts of it that are utilized by Paul. He doesn't immediately start by calling them to repent or right away disagreeing with their worship of all these different gods. He shows them that he empathizes with their heart's desire to know the divine. But he shows them why their religious pursuits are not enough, why they fall short, why they are inadequate to truly fulfill their heart's desire. And he then faithfully shares the biblical truth in a way that makes sense to them. He never, never falters on what is biblical. He never shies away from biblical truth, but he does so in a way that his audience can understand. And so hopefully some of you are thinking about a person that you know right now that is completely far removed from church, like never stepped foot in a church. If you were to invite them to Easter, they'd be like, what's Easter? Who's Jesus? Why would I go to church? But hopefully this is something that you can use to talk to that person, to reach them with the biblical truth. But I want to be clear, (laughs) I want to be clear. Uh, There's a few things that I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that you should spend more time like, in pop culture than you should like, studying the Bible, or that your knowledge of pop culture is going to be more effective than your knowledge of Scripture. By no means should we like, spend our time studying the world and not Scripture. Study Scripture, know Scripture, that's where true life comes from. By no means am I saying my next sermon series with the, the teens is gonna be a, a, a preaching the gospel from like the latest Taylor Swift album or, or, or Doja Cat. Like I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. In no way am I saying that we set aside biblical truth or abandon the Bible in order to reach more people. In no way am I saying that. Paul doesn't do that, we shouldn't do that. All you and I have to stand on is the word of God and the truth that comes into that. But we are speaking to a culture that is very anti-Christian when it comes to our worldview and our faith. And so the way that we share the gospel sometimes with some people has to be different, it has to be clever. Our, the hard thing, the hard, it's what I was just hinting at, the hard thing about our world today is that people are not, like most people, it seems like, are not neutral to our faith, right? There was a time where someone could have disagreed with our faith, but it was, it was neutral. They just, they just didn't care. But today, in our culture, even in just the past five, seven years, you're seeing more so like this hostility towards what we believe. Like people do not like us because of our beliefs. They reject our Christian worldview and view it as bigoted or hateful or, or, or something other that goes against what they believe. So sharing the gospel can be hard. Like I said, or, or you go knock on their door or you go into the cubicle next to you, It might not be open to hearing the gospel from you. Uh, You might have to be creative in building bridges for the gospel. That's why what I view we've talked about today as a tool, as a way to build a bridge into a gospel conversation, to get to the point where you can use Romans Road or you can use the different resources that we've talked about. You can use your biblical knowledge to show them the truth of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. We should leverage what is in the culture for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Sometimes you'll notice in culture, like the ideas in pop culture or in Hollywood are like kind of close to Christianity. So then your job is just to show how it falls short and like how they're almost there to that biblical truth. But then sometimes the truth in our culture, a lot of the times the truth in our culture is far from Christianity. So we really have to challenge it and show them what the truth is about Jesus, And so I hope that you can use this to reach people. And I I just say this, remember, when I say cultural text, it could be pop culture, a song, a movie, a TV show. It could be a worldview that you know that that person has or a belief on a certain topic, or it could be a situation that they've walked through. They've recently lost someone close to them. And so you're not necessarily having to challenge them, but you're stepping in and showing how Jesus fulfills the need that they have. And I, I would say this, you don't have to be young to do this. I think our students and, and young people will be very effective at using this, but you, you don't have to be a teenager. Paul, Paul wasn't a teenager. You don't have to know about all the latest Taylor Swift and all this to, to be able to use this. Anybody can use this. Anybody can use this to share the gospel. I wanna, I wanna end with this, because I, I know we've said a lot, and I, I pray this hasn't felt like a, like a lecture, uh, but I wanna encourage you with the truth. And I can make all this available for you if you want my notes or you want the outline so you can look at it and kind of study it more. But I wanna, I wanna look at verses 32 through 34. I think it's, uh, they're, yeah, they're on the, on the screen. It says in verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you about this again. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. I I love that because it encourages me. When we share the faith, some people will reject us. Some people will mock us. There will be times that, that you get real excited and you're like, today's the day, I'm sharing the gospel with this person, and they reject you. They disagree with you, they don't wanna talk to you. There are some people who, they're gonna have open ears, but they're not gonna respond. Like some of you earlier, as Pastor David was sharing the gospel, some of you were like, I, I like the idea of that, but, but you, didn't, you didn't give your life to Jesus. You didn't follow Jesus, but your ears were open to it. But then there are some, there are some who will believe. And so it's all in the hands of the Lord. As Pastor David's been talking the past two weeks, the power in sharing and saving someone, the, 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 the power to save a soul is not in you or me, it's in God. We rely on God ultimately, so as we get nervous about entering this uh, unchristian culture to share the gospel, we can go confidently knowing that God decides, God has the power to save. You and I don't save. All we do is try to share the message faithfully according to his word, and then we leave the results in God's hand. Some people will mock us, and that will be hard. Some people will be open to it, but they will not believe, but some people, Some people, when you share the gospel, will respond. And that's what we get to rejoice in. That the God who is holy, the God who is righteous, the God who we will worship forever and ever and ever, decides who gets saved. He calls people to salvation. And in that, we rejoice. So I'd encourage you over the next couple of weeks, continue to come, continue to be fed and encouraged and utilize the different tools and resources that we make available to you so that you can share the gospel. And I hope that you're thinking of one person right now, at least one, that you're going to try to intentionally have a conversation with this week to reach them with the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.